0: you up for a game? Let's do this. I want to start by playing a little game that I call, well, who is that? So I'm going to show you a picture and then I'm going to invite you to tell me the name of the person in the picture. Now, if you're with us online, you can either respond in the chat or just whatever who's in the room with you today. But uh, let's start. Ready? How about this person? Who is that? Yeah, it's Taylor Swift. She's famous. 88.5 million Twitter followers. All right, how about this one? Who is that? That, That's former president Barack Obama. And he uh, has the largest following on Twitter, 113 million Twitter followers. How about this one? Who is that? It just got really quiet. You know who that guy is? Neither do I. You know, he's, he's just a normal guy who would be very surprised to see his picture on our screen today. He's just an ordinary dude, and I show this to you because I want you to understand that that's Micah. Mica is just an ordinary guy book of Micah begins this way, chapter 1, verse 1. The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morseth. Micah, he's the prophet of this book that we're going to study today. Well, Micah, what do you know about the biblical book of Micah? Maybe you're thinking, well, I'm kind of familiar with Moses, and I'm kind of familiar with David, and I'm kind of familiar with Elijah, but not this guy, not Micah. Well, neither were they. Micah, he was like nobody from nowhere. His name was not a familiar name. His face was not a familiar face. To this day, very little is known about him. Very little is written about him. Few people paid attention to this guy Micah. Why? Well, because in his day, there was already a prophet. There was already a spiritual leader. In his day, Isaiah was the man. Isaiah was famous. Isaiah's book in the Bible, ten times bigger than Micah's. Isaiah was like celebrity prophet. When Isaiah spoke, people listened. When Micah spoke, people said, well, who's that guy? Micah. His name was not a familiar name, and his message is not a long message. But it is a pithy one. Let me give you a taste. Micah chapter 5, verse 10. God speaking through the prophet Micah. He says, I will destroy your horses from among you and demolish your chariots. I will destroy the cities of your land and tear down all your strongholds. Verse 15. I will take vengeance in anger and wrath on the nations that have not obeyed me. If you want to relax and unwind, let me give you a tip. Don't read the book of Micah. This guy is intense. We read this and think, well, Micah, who is this guy? Well, let me tell you who he reminds me of. He reminds me of Chicken Little. Remember Chicken Little? Chicken Little, he's this scrappy little chicken who was doing whatever it is that chickens do. You know, trying to cross a road or something. He gets hit on the head with an acorn and he looks up and he just assumes, well, the sky must be falling. The end is near. Judgment is coming. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. That, that's Micah. Micah's like the chicken little of the Bible. He's a prophet of doom. He's a prophet of, of gloom. Micah, he's like the sky is falling. The end is near. The judgment is coming. Well, here's the question. If we want to understand this book of Micah, and if we understand, want to understand what God is saying to us through it, we need to figure this question out. Was it was the sky falling? Was it really that bad? Were these Israel's darkest days? Because it didn't look like it. Chapter one, verse one gives us the historical context. It's actually quite specific so that we can know what was going on during Micah's lifetime. Look at this, the word of the Lord that came to Micah of Morseth during the reigns of Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. We know about these kings of Judah. There's history on these kings of Judah. We know this, we know Ahaz, he was a stinker. But the other two guys, Jotham and Hezekiah, they were God-honoring kings. They were two of the most godly kings that the land had ever had. So that means during Micah's generation, the people of Israel, they were actually experiencing religious revival. They had recently reopened the temple. The temple had been closed. It had been shut down during these king's days. They opened it back up. They recommissioned the priests and the Levites. They purified the temple. They offered sacrifices. They went to the temple. They were following the traditions of the temple. They even celebrated the Passover for the first time in decades. Relatively speaking, this was a rather religious bunch. These were basically... Good people. But Micah still said this. Chapter 3, verse 12. Because of you, Zion will be plowed like a field. Jerusalem will become a heap of rubble. The temple hill, a mound overgrown with thickets. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. The sky is falling. Micah, he's like the chicken little of the Bible... Just one difference. Chicken Little was wrong. Micah, he was right. History demonstrates Micah was right. In his lifetime, shortly after his prophecies, Tiglath Pileser III stormed their gates. He conquered their army, he exiled their people, and he took over their land. We find this story, it's in 2 Kings chapter 17, verse 23, summarizes it for us, saying, The people of Israel were taken from their homeland into exile in Assyria. In 722 BC, the sky fell. Well, knowing this, knowing about this history, knowing what was going on in the days of Micah, that should cause us to ask, Well, why? Why did that happen? These weren't bad people. These were good people. These were people who were doing religious things. They were doing the things of God. They were offering offerings. They were worshiping in the temple. They were following the Jewish traditions. In today's language, we we would say, these people went to church. These people were praying prayers. They were singing songs. They were giving money. They heard sermons. They did church. They did religion. You want to know why this passage Scares me because these people aren't that much different than us. So, why? If these were good people, if these were religious people, why did their sky fall? What was the issue? What's God's problem? Well, let's get back to, to that game we started with. I got one more, and I want to think of it this way. Let's see this guy and ask the question, Well, who, who is that? Yeah, it's Kevin Durant. He's the captain of Team USA Basketball, whose mission is gold or global embarrassment. One or the other is going to happen. But for Kevin Durant, if Team USA doesn't get the gold, he'll be just fine. Because what he'll be able to do, if they don't win the gold, he can just find another team and jump on their bandwagon for the 2024 games. (laughs) Not very many NBA fans here, are there? (laughs) Kevin Durant, he's got this reputation for team hopping. Well, Kevin Durant, I believe in Kevin Durant. I believe that He exists. I believe that He is one of the greatest basketball talents of our day. I believe in Him. I've, I've watched Him. I've cheered for Him. I've read things about Him. I've been in awe of Him. But so what? What, what does that mean? I believe that He exists. I've watched Him play. That he, he hasn't in a, had an impact. He hasn't had an influence on my life. See, we, we can believe in, believing in, and cheering for, and reading about, and being in awe of, that doesn't really mean much. That, that's this. Chapter 6, verse 6. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams? See, the people in Micah, they were going to church. They were praying prayers, they were singing songs, but they weren't letting God actually lead their lives. Well, they believed in God. And they read about God, but he had very little impact. He had very little influence in their lives. Sound familiar? 167 million people in the United States claim to be Christians. 167 million people in the United States claim to be followers of Jesus. But do you have any idea how many of those who claim to be followers of Jesus also say they're committed to discovering and actually following the teachings of Jesus? 28%. Wow. Wow. 167 million people believe in an all-powerful supreme God who loves us so much that He gave His life on the cross for us, yet still live as if that didn't happen. That's an issue. That's the Micah issue. Self-examination time. And hear my heart on this. there, There's no no shame, no judgment. You don't have to tell anybody. This is just a, an opportunity between you and God. And if you're with us today and you're not following Jesus at this moment in time, no, we're glad that you're here. We're glad that you're seeking and, and learning. You're, you're welcome. We're glad to have you a part of what we're doing. But understand this that what Micah's going to do here, well, you're off the hook. But if you do claim to be a follower of Jesus, then Micah is rather convicting. Micah is rather challenging. He challenges us by asking this, am I a follower of Jesus or am I really just a believer of Jesus. The uh, real practical here because the evidence to that isn't found in what we say and the evidence for that isn't found in what we think. The evidence for that is found in how we well, in how we live. So here here's the questions. I'm just going to give you a few questions for a reflection. And again, Apply this to yourself. Don't apply this to the person sitting next to you. Apply this to you. This is just between you and God trying to decide am I following Jesus or am I really just a believer of this Jesus? Well, how about this question? Does following Jesus ever set your priorities or rearrange your schedule? When? Does following Jesus, does it ever change your lifestyle? How? Does following Jesus ever influence any of your decisions? Well which ones? Following Jesus doesn't mean that I own a Bible. Following Jesus doesn't mean I know the Bible. Following Jesus doesn't mean I read the Bible. Following Jesus means I obey the Bible. Following Jesus doesn't mean I do what I feel like doing. Following Jesus doesn't mean I'm going to do what everybody else is doing. Following Jesus means I'm going to do what he asked me to do. You see why Micah isn't very famous I mean, this book, convicting, confrontational. But that's not all. Micah also goes on and says things like this. Chapter 7, verse 18. Who is a God like you, who pardons sins and forgives the transgressions of the remnant of his inheritance? You do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. You will again have compassion on us. You will tread our sins underfoot and hurl all our iniquities into the depths of the sea. That, that's mercy and compassion and grace and forgiveness. See, you and I, we may mess up. We may fail. We may blow it. But God, God says, I'm not done. I'm not over. I'm not checking out. I'm not giving up on you. Some 700 years before Jesus, Micah declared this. Chapter 5, verse 2. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathath, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. That That's a Christmas passage. That That's Jesus. Through the prophet Micah, Hundreds of years before Jesus came, God was saying, I know, I know there are some things in your life that are hard, that hurt, that aren't going the way that you want them to. Know this, I'm not gone. I'm not abandoning you. I am going to enter in. I will come. Chapter 5, verse 4. He will stand. And shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be our peace. Jesus didn't come to judge us. Jesus, he came to rescue us. 2700 years later, we understand, well, we understand the cross. He came to give His perfect life in exchange for our imperfect lives. He came to forgive. He came to bless. He came to heal. He came to restore. He came to love and and more. After the resurrection, Jesus did this amazing thing. He, He was raised from the dead. He's gathered with His closest followers and He put that this way. John 20, verse 21. Jesus said... Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. Well, why did they receive the Holy Spirit? To comfort them? Well, no. To protect them? Well, no. Did you catch what it said? As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus gave the Holy Spirit, and Jesus said this to his followers. He's saying, here's what I want you to know. You've been saved. What I just did on the cross, on the resurrection, that's enough. Your sins can be forgiven. You you can have strength to be stronger than sin and to be stronger than evil through me. You have been saved and more. You have been saved and you have also been sent. You have been sent to represent me, to love and to bless and to heal and to restore. In in one of the most famous verses in all of the Old Testament, Micah put that this way. Verse 8. What does the Lord require of you? We've not only been saved from something, we've been saved for something. What does the Lord require of you? to act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. I'm going to read that again, and this time I'm going to invite you to read it with me. Join me. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly, and to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Following Jesus isn't just a life of songs, services, and sin avoidance. Read this with me. What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? We live in a world where there are challenges, where there are wrongs, where there are injustices all around. God, He hasn't given up on this world. This great God of ours continues His work of restoring and redeeming and healing and blessing. And He gives us the opportunity to join Him. Read this with me. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. With the Ridge we're not just committed to helping people who are here within these walls we're committed to helping and serving with people who are out there in our community in the world that we live in you got if you're in this room a handout when you came in if you're with us online you can check something out in the chat section there'll be a link that you can you can go to whole bunch just a few opportunities that we're involved in saying we want to make this community a better a better place. And I'm not going to go through all of these. I invite you when you have an opportunity to to read them. But I will say this about it. These things, they're not just for your information. This is well this is an invitation to you. These are all led by volunteers. Just people ordinary people like you and like Micah who say well I, I want to I want to do something meaningful with my life I want to be a part of some of these things that God is about and so I'm going to find ways to be able to use my time in those purposes and understand this you know we, we don't just do these kind of things because it's a popular thing to do you know everybody's got a cause these days but we do these things because well, we're followers of Jesus. We want to do the kind of things that Jesus did. we want to reflect Him. We've been saved and we've been sent. Micah 6.8, read this with me. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. That's not just limited to ministries of the church. You can live that out on a daily basis. Every time you notice the person that no one else notices. Every time you encourage the person who's discouraged. Every time you take care of the person who's not well. Every time you serve someone who's under-resourced. Every time you seek justice. Every time you offer forgiveness. Every time you add value to someone else's life. That, that's Micah 6.0. Well, Micah, the prophet Micah, he wasn't a celebrity. He wasn't popular. And he still isn't. But he is a messenger of God. And he said then, and he still says now, God's great desire isn't for us to just know his name. God's great desire isn't for us just to sing His songs. God's great desire isn't just for us to attend His services. What is it? Well, He tells us. Micah 6.8 Read this with me. What does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. God He's on the move. He hasn't given up on this world. His kingdom has come in part through Jesus, and someday it will come in full. He's continuing His work of redeeming and restoring and healing and blessing, and He invites us to join Him. Thanks for joining us today and listening to our weekly podcast. My name is Will Heron. I'm the Director of Discipleship here at The Ridge. If you would like to dig a little deeper into what we've been talking about today, uh, be sure to check out Beyond the Sermon. This is a weekly devotional that goes out after Second Service on Sunday. There you'll find the scripture that we've been looking at, some questions for you to, to dive into. But then there's also a discussion uh, that I have with whoever is teaching that Sunday. We just dive deeper into different themes and topics from the sermon. If you've enjoyed our podcast, feel free to share it with your friends. And also jump on our website, ridgelife.org, to get more connected here at the Ridge.